Nick Miles is our auto expert. So drop it into gear. You've got a green flag. Here's Nick. Geneva Auto Show is uh, kicking off. That's going to be exciting. Uh, there's a, Geneva tends to be where all of the sexy cars get shown uh, for the first time. Supercars that every uh, car enthusiast will have on posters on their wall uh, get shown at the Geneva Auto Show. There are a long, long list of very cool cars, including new Ferraris, uh, new Nissan GTR. Uh, I'm actually probably most excited about the uh, the debut of the F8 Tributo. I'm not sure if uh, my Italian is not the best. Tributo? Tributo? The G488 GTB. Is it T-R-I-B-U-T-O? How would you say that, Jen? You're Italian. The Trofino. No. What? Is that There's okay? no F. Where? Right here, right here. Tributo? Tributo? Oh, yes. That means trophy in Italian. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. Jen is our... Google uh, Translator <laughs> online. Thank you, Jen. By the way, if you have anything that he's translating, it's Jen at testmiles.com. G-J-E-N. Yep. She'd be more than happy to do any translations, especially <laughs> Italian, apparently. I feel like the one that didn't graduate high school in here all of a sudden. Uh, high, yeah, high school, high cars. Uh, Lamborghini will introduce their Hurricane uh, Evo Spider version. That was uh, the car I got to drive in um, Bahrain. Yes, <clears throat> where I flew back and it took 22 hours in the air. And I came back and I was like, Gee, isn't that sad? I remember the trip back as more than I do the car. <laughs> that <laughs> is sad, especially a Lamborghini. I, I resign. I resign. I shouldn't be talking about cars. <laughs> uh, an amazing piece of machinery. Uh, do you know, does anybody know why they call spiders? They call them spiders. Is it because of spider gears? I don't know, but uh, no, because spider means know. soft top. Oh. So, uh, but, but... <laughs> Uh, it's actually spelled S-P-I-D-E-R, and some companies change it to S-P-Y to try and be cool. cool. Yeah. yeah. I love Lamborghini, but it's really spelled S-P-I-D-E-R, just in case you didn't know. I'm sure, and you know, I'm expecting somebody to call in now, uh, like Vince or Mark, <laughs> and, you know, from the Ferrari Club, and tell us why it's called Spiders now. If you know why it's called Spiders, give us a call. Uh, Do you what? want me to research that real quick for you, Nick? All right. You Google it. Jane. It <laughs> made me look really, uh, really sad. Uh, Ryan, what are you most excited about the Geneva Auto Show? Would it happen to be the new Aston Martin Hypercar, the Project 003? Uh, I don't know. That Evo, I like the convertible, but that Aston's pretty nice, too. There's a whole long list of cars here. It's ridiculous. Um, you know, some of them actually look the, the Lagonda. Oh, which, yeah, the Vision. Which is uh, Aston Martin. We saw this at Pebble Beach yeah. for the first time. I'm not a big fan of the interior of it, but... I don't know. The interior was interesting. Um, we we can say it now, but when we talked about the Lagonda for the first time, uh, we were, we said, you know, it looks like the Welsh Guards uniform. So Her Majesty the Queen has four different guards, Irish, Scots, Welsh, and Grenadier. And the Welsh Guards have grey uniforms with red epaulets or red piping on the epaulets. Um, that's the same as the seats. In the car, and, we, and and they said it's because it's made in Wales. Oh, there we go. All right, it's because it's made in Wales. It was in the interview, and we put it in. It was on. T We're getting ready for TV. They because <laughs> you, you can't say that. I have your answer. Wait, wait, stand by. Okay, talking about Her Majesty the Queen's uh, Ooh, Welsh Queen. Guards. That's right. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> so they said you can't say that it's uh, you know it's made in the Welsh Guards because it's not you know because it's going to be made in Wales. We said why? Because we haven't announced to anybody that's made in Wales yet. I'm like, oh. but you've told everybody it's. The Welsh Guards uniform 
because of where it's going to be made. <laughs> you think some people may have worked that out would be whales? Because it's a, anyway. There's my story about the Lagonda. I, I look. At, I think it looks terribly like the I-Pace, but I'm sure Simon Sproul from uh, from Aston Martin would be very upset if I told him that. <laughs> but they just happen to have. Uh, they they have a lot in common. I-Pace or Jaguar designers and Aston Martin designers often trade companies. Did you see the beach buggy yet? Uh, no, stand by. Jen's got an answer. Why is it called a spider, Jen? Okay, so the spider name dates back to the 1800s, where the horse-drawn carriages was the main mode of transportation. So, hence... The spiders. Spider. There's no cover. I don't, I don't get it. I still don't, I still get, don't get it. it. Oh, sorry. <laughs> do, somebody, do you want me to keep going? I feel stupid <laughs> when the show started now. Honestly, I was hoping that I'd learn something. Okay, so then it goes on to the less cumbersome carriages, um, but thanks to their looks known as spiders, you can see them in the pictures above. See? No, still don't get it. They look but like spiders. Anyway, Jen, for <laughs> they look like spiders. Do they? Yeah, they're horse-drawn carriages. Look at this beach buggy. I don't know. Oh, okay. uh, yeah, VW, uh, they're doing the new beach buggy. It's electric, though, right? Yeah, it looks really, really cool. And then Honda has a new electric one, too. Yeah. It's so funny because that's the, it, it looks weird, the new Honda one they're going to announce. It looks Geneva. like a CRX, kind of, like an old hatchback. Are we looking at the same one? Ooh, the Z4 is Yeah, pretty. you should see the picture I have of it here up on my screen. Okay. Yeah, and we need to post some of these. <laughs> um, just like thanks, thanks. I'll be I'll be right on that. The uh, Nissan are going to have the new IMQ, which I think we've seen already. Uh, but oftentimes they refresh it. I'm actually most excited about the new Corolla GR, which is basically uh, the hot hatch version of the Corolla hatchback, which we had. We, you know, you can see that at ourautoexpert.com. But this is kind of like the sports car Honda hatch. That, that's a BMW Z4. Yeah, isn't that pretty? Um, it's got a different color driver's seat to the rest of the seats. Yeah, isn't it weird? That's interesting. I've never seen anyone do that before, have a driver's seat that's different color. The driver's seat's better. Or you, you probably want the kids' seats to be um, plastic and then the drivers to be leather. You'd like to sit in leather and, but not have them damage your leather seats. I I'm love being, leather. Am I being anti-kid right now? I don't have... A kid to worry. Well, oh my God! Your kids, Koenig Zig released the new Ajera RS, which he said that he was going to at Geneva, which he did, and now it has a fourteen hundred brake horsepower rating. Yeah, there uh, there'll be new Mercedes GLE. There's going to be this is all uh, coming up at the Geneva show. You should be you know highly excited about this. Now VW going to have the T Rock. Uh, the R version of the T-Rock, which is mostly European, uh, they're, they're going to have a lot of new cars. I mean, I'm kind of excited about this. All right, let's talk about what's on today's show, because that's why you're all tuned in and ready to go. We have some uh, some pretty cool stuff. We're going to talk to Mark Trossel. He's a designer over at Fiat Chrysler about their Drive for Design program. If you want to win yourself an internship at Fiat Chrysler, this could be your ticket. And the new Kia Soul, I went on the event. I'll tell you all about that. Min Min Minnie's 60th birthday, uh, Isha is going to talk to us about that and John Vincent in studio from US News and World Report to talk about best cars to buy new versus used. Plus, Anton Woolman, our crazy independent investor and analyst, is going to fill us in on some crazy Tesla stuff which has been happening over the week. Stand by! That's all coming your way on today's episode. Our Auto Expert. Keep listening. More of Our Auto Expert with Nick Miles is coming up. Start your engines and you're off. Back to our auto expert with Nick Miles. I don't know about you, but when I was a, um, a shorter guy, 
I know it seems crazy now, but I was shorter at one point in my life. Uh, I used to draw a child. I'm trying to say a child. When I was a child, I used to draw pictures of cars uh, along with bat caves. I was fascinated by it. I would have my own bat cave one day with under me underwater submarines. But I used to draw pictures of cars, and I sat down with... Uh, uh, a designer, I'm not going to mention his name because it was a little embarrassing, to design cars together one day and he just basically told me to keep your day job because you're a horrible, horrible car designer. Uh, somebody who isn't a horrible car designer is uh, Mark Trossel who is from FCA and he's joining us on the phone because this year again, Fiat Chrysler Automobiles are doing their uh, Drive for Design program. Uh, Mark, does this program actually work? Do people uh, get a career in car designing from uh, from the start of drive for design it does it does and, and truthfully it's it's a competition that existed when i was in high school i was like you i drew cars and it actually uh kicked off and set my uh, career in motion and, and we've had really good success with the competition so far this is our seventh year and we actually have had three of our previous winners uh do summer internships within my design studio at fca and actually got 11 students that have won the competition attending uh, College for Creative Studies in Detroit, which is one of the, the best design schools in the, in the world. So it is working. Um, I have to say, I'd, one day I'd like to compare my high school car drawings to yours. I'm sure yours are an awful lot better because you made a career out of it. Mine, sadly, when it was pointed out to me, is you have to have a, a piece of ground to start with. You can't just have a floating car in the air, which is the first thing I... You know, that was mistake number one. If I can't even get the ground in, why I have no business even drawing wheels for the, for the vehicles. Uh, Mark... Mark Tell us a little bit about some of the vehicles that you've ended up working on in the, uh, that we've seen today, and then the ones that you're working on in the future. <laughs> uh, absolutely. Fortunately, <Thanks>, <laughs> um, I've had a lot of had a lot of fun working on. Uh, did a lot of concept cars early on in my career, which was always fun for a young designer because really no limits there. Um, more recently, uh, I was uh, led the team of the, the fifth generation Viper uh, that um, just went out of production last year. Uh, two years ago, and uh, of the Dodge Challenger, uh, Demon, and Hellcat are probably some notable ones that uh, I've I've had a hand in recently. So some some pretty fun pretty fun product. I, I love the, the the one thing, Mark, and I bring it up every time I talk to you on, on the air, on the TV, on the radio, is the one thing I love about you is because you wash your cars yourself, uh, you, when you design the wheels of, of the new uh, Challenger and the, and the Charger, uh, you wanted to make sure that you could get your hands in the wheels to actually, there was enough space to wash them. I, to me, that's probably one of the cutest design stories of all time. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, as, a, as an industrial designer, it, things have to look cool, but they also have to function. And, you know, I, I love a clean, a clean car drives better, right? So for some reason, it just drives better. So I like to personally clean my cars, and, and I get just as frustrated as everyone else with, you know, getting a sponge in there and trying to, you know, get all the brake dust off of tight corners and that. So it was my goal to make sure that I could get <laughs> my hand in a sponge in there to, to clean the inside of the wheel. How how painful is it for you to live in Detroit? Because I I drove from Detroit to Chicago in a Trackhawk um, over from Wednesday Thursday night to Wednesday uh, Friday morning. Sorry, so I had it sort of picked up the airport on Wednesday and then ended up driving all the way. When I got to Chicago, it looked so bad, like it was covered in salt and grit and road dirt. And I just imagine you pulling into the parking lot at the FCA headquarters every single morning. Going, 
how could people do this to their cars? Oh, believe me, it's, it is painful. Like the salt, you know, the grime up the side of the car, it, it's, it's tough. It's really, winter is really, really tough in Michigan, that's for sure. Why can't you design something to stop that? <laughs> like, I don't know. Like going to California. Yeah, oh, there you go. Perhaps if I talk to Mr. Manley, he'll uh, he'll make that happen. The yeah, uh, yes. and you do such incredible work on on the colors and the the light bouncing and all these sort of things. Like even even things like I'm so impressed by the F8 green that the green that you have out right now. Yeah. The the light um just a sort of matte green, almost army green vehicle. The light that bounces off that vehicle is absolutely amazing. And then you see them covered in this nasty grime from the road. I mean, your heart must ache. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does. It does. It uh, definitely makes you appreciate the the summer when they are clean and uh, you know being able to spend some time you know in some warmer states during the winter to <laughs> to remember what a clean car looks like and right. the sun is, is always a refreshing thing. We should try and get back to what we're actually talking about this uh, drive to design program. All right, so so you've had about a number of years. Uh, last year there was a theme, and I think the theme was Jeeps. But this year, looking on the website, which is FCA Drive to Design Drive for Design dot com, it seems like the theme is whatever is in the eye of the drawer, right? Yeah, I, you know, we opened it up to, you know, FCA has a, you know, a, a big spectrum of, of uh, brands to choose from, everything from Maserati, Alfa Romeo to, to Jeep and, and Dodge and SRT. Uh, and, you know, I, I'm looking for the students to tell me what, what is the, the, you know, what is the epitomizes a vehicle. So, for example, if they're designing a, a, a new um, Alfa Romeo, what is that vehicle? What what is an Alfa Romeo to them? How should it look? That emotional appeal that when, you know, someone's looking at their sketch or their design that they can see this is what they think that vehicle should look like. Are you more likely to have somebody winning who can design the next generation of Pacifica minivan versus the Alfa Romeo? Because, you know, that's probably what everybody spends their time doing is drawing supercars or high-performance cars. True. Uh, you know, I, you and I both probably most, I didn't really draw vans when I was a kid. I was drawing uh, See? cars. <laughs> See? <laughs> but, but, you know, it, it would be interesting. I would, I would love nothing more than to see a, you know, a next generation Pacifica because what we, what we will judge their designs on is, is proportion. How well have they captured the vehicle uh, that they're drawing? How, how contemporary does it look? You know, how, um, how, how well have they picked up on the proportions and, and kind of, you know, done something that's fresh? So it could be a minivan or it could be, a, you know, an exotic sports car for sure. I'm, I'm just going to say, I probably, I, I probably you're going to get 99.9999% exotic sports cars. Do you learn stuff when you look at these pictures? Do you learn stuff from these students? Do you, do you take ideas and go, they have something here? Uh, you know, it, it, I, I guess the, the, the big thing that I take out of that is inspiration. It, I'm not asking not if you steal their designs, Mark. <laughs> I'm just asking whether yeah. there's something that comes out of it that benefits you. I, 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 I probably not from an aesthetic standpoint at this point in their careers, but that, that passion and that emotion and, and really just knowing that, you know, these students hopefully someday will make it 
and, and be potentially in a design studio is, is really what, what we get out of it and, and putting them on that path. There's so many students, uh, when they think of automotive design, they think of engineering. Uh, and, and, you know, there is a, as you are well aware, there is a, a, an important sort of way a vehicle looks and it comes down to that artistic piece of it. And that's what I'm trying to find are those students that, that love to draw, that love the automobile and let them know that, um, that there's a really good career there. Can I come and sit down with you in the FCA design studio and draw cars one day? I would love that. That would be awesome. Will you that teach me? Awesome. Will you teach me how to draw? And maybe we can use something apart from crayons. <laughs> <laughs> the computer, the computer makes it a lot easier these days, too, for sure. <laughs> I, 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 you know, I saw that one of the prizes was uh, this computer. I never heard of it before, but it's basically a sort of a, a design tablet, right? Yes, yes, it's a, a Wacom Mobile uh, Studio for our first place winner, and really, that's that's exactly how our designers in the studio uh, design cars these days. It's a it's a tablet, but you have everything that you would have if it were the so so called old school way with pen and paper and marker, but it's all done electronically. So it allows you to be uh, much more efficient uh, in creating sketches. All right, I'm I'm excited. Until April twenty seventh is the date, right? Is the deadline. Correct. All right. FCA um, and they can get all the information about entering. Boys and girls, start your pens. There could be an internship in it for you if you get it right. Mark, always a pleasure to talk to you. And uh, I'm going to make it, I'm going to have Jen make a date so we can come to Detroit and do, do drawings together, if that works. I would love that. I would love that. All right. Coming up, we've got more cool Great. stuff. John Vincent's going to be in the studio with us. He's going to be talking about. Uh, Eventually, we'll have lots of things to talk about, but he'll be talking about whether you should buy it new or whether you should buy it used. I'm a fan of just not spending money. More on our auto expert coming up. Stay tuned. There's more to come with Nick Miles. FM News 101 and KXL.com. Jump right in and put the pedal to the floor. Our auto expert with Nick Miles continues. I was super interested to know that Kia sells uh, a vehicle or a soul every four minutes um, in the United States, which is good. No, it's, no sorry, four a minute. I had the wrong way around. Four every minute uh, in, in the United States, which I think is pretty impressive. Uh, there are a lot of cars in that class. Uh, joining us in the studio, uh, John Vincent from U.S. News and World Report. Uh, John, how many cars are in that segment with a Kia Soul when it started? And there was a Scion XB. There weren't very many. Well, there's a Nissan Cube. Scion XD, Cube. Um, uh, uh, like, uh, did you count the Element, the Honda Element in that? The Honda Element was in boxy. there. It was a little bigger, but it was in there. Um, so there was like three or four, but the, the, the only one to survive is the Kia Soul. Everything else has been discontinued. Survive and thrive. Yeah. Um, what, what do you think their secret source is? It's different than every other compact out there. It's and it's the utility is amazing. Yeah, the uh, they also sort of made youngered it up. I mean, they always had those speakers, or the second generation had those speakers with the LED lights in it. They've moved those LED lights up to the door now, so the door kind of flashes and lights up because the speakers were too low and you couldn't see the lights. And they wanted everyone to enjoy them. It's the marketing. It, oh, marketing with Jan, naysayer. Isn't that a good car? 
Well, yeah, it's a good car, but I'm saying they hit the teen or the oh, well, the they did. Market. They did hit the uh, the millennials. I guess it yes. would be, but there's a lot of older people buying it too. It has the utility of a sport utility with a price tag that's a whole lot lower. Seventeen thousand five hundred dollars, which is the third generation starting price. That's a stripped down one. You'd probably pay ten thousand dollars more for a high end GT version. But even so. To get an SUV that's well equipped for mid twenties is not it's not tough. horrible. Yeah, it's tough. Uh, and they also have a lot of really cool things in there. Like they have a heads-up display that pops up in the higher-end ones now. It's the little uh, flip-up piece of glass like Mini have and like Mazda have. But even so, it's still a heads-up display. Still works. Uh, they have a whole new infotainment system in the insides of these. Uh, they have comfortable seats, and with a turbo two-liter engine, uh, I think it, it's like a hundred uh, seventy odd horsepower. It's it's a lot of fun to drive but ultimately the soul is kind of it if you drive perhaps one of its especially a nissan cube i saw a nissan cube on the freeway the other day and i looked over and it had a, a little old lady sunk down inside a puffy a puffy coat on the phone you know and i was thinking that that's probably i'd never see a nissan soul uh, sorry i never see a, a, a kia soul driven by uh, someone like that but it's interesting that the cube and it had that strange glass didn't it in the cube that, that curved around yeah, it had the asymmetrical back window that wrapped around one side i think they told us when they it's gonna be so bad because your mind's gonna race when i tell you this they told us that they designed the inside to look like a hot tub <laughs> All right, not sure what you'd be doing inside your Kia Soul. I mean, you're a Nissan Cube, but it's an interesting idea. Why would you design the inside of a car look like a hot tub? Don't want to know. No, me neither. Uh, probably needs cleaning out now before you sell it <laughs> in the secondhand market. Uh, the Kia So I went on this Kia Soul drive. Uh, it was a lot of fun, except that I was on. They usually have waves of guys coming to drive this journalist from around the country. I ended up on wave one, and it snowed in San Diego up in the mountains. And we made it home, but there were several people that uh, had struggled a little bit. This, of course, it doesn't come with all-wheel drive, which, of course, Nissan apologized for in the first... I, mean, I say Nissan, I keep saying Nissan. I mean, Kia apologized for having all, um, no all-wheel drive in the new Soul. The other thing is that I was... I think I've heard this before about the new uh, the Kia Soul, but I've never really realized it, uh, is that the designer wanted to design a bore with a backpack. And that's how he came up with the car. I keep looking at this car going, mm. uh, do you see a ball with a backpack, Jen? Mm. No? Mm. It's an interesting concept. Well, look at, I guess you could look at the headlights as the eyes. It's like a smaller toaster. In <laughs> 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 well, last Jen, I could see the backpack, but not in the not, current Jen. No, no uh, it's... I mean, and the other thing that I think is interesting about the current gen is they flip the lights. So in the GT version, uh, the headlights are at top and there are fog lights below it. They're both LEDs. But in, in the version, which is, uh, the X, I think they call it, uh, they flip it, they're flipping it where the headlight is at the, the bottom and the top is the daytime running light, which is kind of interesting. Uh, so they sort of flip the, flip them around and, and everyone's doing this, right? give it a different face for every different trim level. There'll be three trim levels. There'll be the um, the X version. There'll be the uh, the GT, which is the turbo, two liter. And then there's soon to come the electric, which they had a had it on a static display, but they wouldn't tell us anything about the electric soul. Uh, presumably that's going to be based on the Nero or something like that. It's the, the Nero drivetrain. All right. So Nero drivetrain in a, in a Kia uh, body. I, I just really like the vehicle. I had a good time uh, driving the vehicle, and especially the GT. 
I would tell you I probably wouldn't drive the non-turbo version because they're a little bit lame. How is the interior? The yeah, they, uh, they they do an amazing job with the uh, with the interiors of these cars. Uh, for the price that you pay, uh, Korea used to get horrible, horrible reviews on their interiors of their car, and I think Kia won some Ward's Best Awards in the last few years. So they've really got their interiors together. Lots of loading space. Uh, you know, lots of space on the back end. I I just really enjoyed it, and um, I think I I got it up pretty fast on the 163 in San Diego. Plus, uh, you know, it still comes with a five-year warranty overall yeah. and the ten-year powertrain warranty, which is a fantastic thing to get on an entry-level car. Hundred thousand miles, yeah, on that powertrain, which is uh, is outstanding for somebody. And uh, I think very few people doing that now. I think Mitsubishi, the only other Hyundai, Mitsubishi, Kia, Hyundai, right? Mitsubishi, Kia, uh, Volkswagen has a pretty good warranty now. Um, six years, isn't it? Something? Six years, seventy thousand. All right. Well, you know, and and they, then they do all these things like if you lose your job, you can keep the car and they have these programs now and again which is always pretty good all right when we come back i'm going to talk a little bit about uh, mini they're celebrating 60 years in the united states or in the world i should say uh their first cars are very different from their modern cars we'll talk about the chief of design what he did for the 60th anniversary version of the vehicle and we'll find out whether this mini has a place in your driveway oh boy portland's a mini city we'll have all that coming up on our auto expert Live in studio. Stay tuned. More of Our Auto Expert with Nick Miles is on the way. Our Auto Expert continues. Here's your host, Nick Miles. John Vincent joining us in studio, our auto expert uh, today. And I will tell you, uh, John, thank you for uh, making some time uh, for us. Happy to be here. Did we uh, your in-laws visiting or something, so you wanted to escape the house? Something like that. Okay. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm a mini owner. I'm a big mini fan. I do mini takes the states every time that uh, I have the opportunity to to do it. And uh, one of the things I love about mini is the fact that they just feel like a go-karts. Uh, I had an old minivan in England in the 19... whatever I grew up. Um, <laughs> and it was one of my favorite vehicles. Um, just so much fun. It was manual. Uh, I could see the road through the floor. Um, you know, it was it was an older, older mini. Uh, I still love them very much. So uh, I was kind of shocked and somewhat horrid to find out that Mini was celebrating a 60th anniversary because... That's a long time uh, for one car to exist. Not necessarily a car brand, but especially one car to exist. So uh, Ishan Katri is joining us on the phone from Mini. Uh, it's it's a lot of heritage, 60 years, right? It is indeed, Nick. Um, good to speak to you again. Uh, how was your how was your travel back from California after we met a couple? Uh, of weeks you ago? know, it was it was fantastic, and uh, I always enjoy coming back to the rain and snow out of the Californian <laughs> sunshine. Although you know, it, it did rain the second day that I'd already left. Uh, however, right, um, I had a, you know you had a we had this uh, this BMW event in California in which Mini and Rolls Royce were included too, and one of the most popular things was the autocross, and that really speaks to Mini. I mean, they are just so much fun to drive. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you hit the nail on the head. Um, since inception, of course, one of the one of the unique properties that we've always maintained with our cars is a go-kart feeling. Now, what better way for us to have people experience that than, you know, setting up our own little autocross? And I'm glad you got to get in the driver's seat and have a lot of fun. I probably did about 30 laps myself. Uh, and, of course, we had to go for the top of the line John Cooper Works model. Yes. Yes. Um, every single one of them had the trick exhaust system. The car sounds absolutely incredible. 
Um, and yeah, it was it was a ton of fun. Even on the second day when the rain did come pouring down, it was it was a lot of fun. No, uh, it sounds it's funny because when I ordered, uh, I have a 2019 uh, Countryman John Cooper works, and when I ordered my car. Um, we were just, I was going through the, the ordering process and looking at sort of all the available and the options and that sort of thing. And they said, you know, you could, you, you, uh, are you, sh- are you sure, uh, you, you know, you want a regular mini or what do you want? Do you want, do you want the John Cooper works? And I just looked over at the person that was working with me on the order and they said, John Cooper works it is then. <laughs> I can't, yeah. I honestly can't imagine <laughs> ever ordering a mini. I mean, I know there's plenty of people that don't have John Cooper works, but oh my goodness, I drove that from, oh, oh, the day I picked the car up, I drove it from Portland uh, to LA and it was probably one of the most exciting drives I've ever had. And then, and then you have to encapsulate that in 60 years. So I mean, when you when someone says to you, Ishan, what you know? Please make us a sixty-year anniversary of a mini. Where do you start? Well, I guess we got to start from the beginning. So, I mean, even before the launch of the classic mini in the summer of '59, it was clear that the uh, the design features of the new small car would benefit not just the interior space, but also we had to lend ourselves to these go-kart feelings, so the car's agile driving properties we have. Um, we saw it from the beginning, or someone saw it from the beginning, but no one saw it as much as one particular individual whose name is John Cooper. Right. Um, so he took, he was a strong believer in this little four-seaters racetrack potential. So in collaboration with uh, Sir Alec Isigonis, who's of course the creator of the Classic Mini, he developed ideas for variants of the small car with a more powerful engine, uh, laying the foundations for an exceptional career on the racing circuits and the tracks, which of course, maintained our dominance of the Monte Carlo Rally in the 60s. So from there on, we obviously had a look at the history again, and one of the things that strikes straight away is, of course, the paint finish. So the, the classic color of uh, British racing green is a color that was used in all British racing in the 60s and 70s. The 60 years edition had to be British racing green as far as we were concerned. So uh, we've got a brand new British racing green that's on the car with a combination um, of roof and mirror caps and pepper white. I really give it this striking experience, uh, coupled together with uh, edition-specific wheels in 17 inches with a two-tone finish. Uh, we obviously work very closely with our development team uh, in Germany, in Munich, of course. That's, we are a BMW Group company now. And uh, they came up with a new 60 years edition logo, which finds its way onto the, the bonnet stripes, which, of course, something very mini as well, the side skulls the door seal finishals, and of course, one super cool mini feature, which is of course the LED logo projection on the driver's side mirror. Right. So we, we obviously utilize the exterior uh, color to accentuate the fact that this is something new, and for the time being, British Racing Green is available only on the 60 years edition. And then we had to add a few features that make it even more mini still. So let me just, so the original British Racing Green is, is gone, is written retired, and then we have Correct, an opportunity sir. to have a new version of it. Is that a bit of a risk? I know many people don't like it when you change things. Uh, well, you know, fortune favors the brave. And uh, that's, that's one thing we definitely have been since the beginning. We have been brave as a manufacturer. We've always had this challenge. Uh, a few years ago, we, we pretty much came out with a public declaration saying that, you know, we are a racing car. So we, we took the minis racing and I'm very happy to say that in the 2018 season for the IMSA Sports Car Championship, we actually won the manufacturer's title, beating the likes of uh, uh, Porsche, Nissan, Mazda, 
which was, of course, a great achievement for us. And in celebration of that, by the way, my car is liveried in the number 73, uh, which is the new, of course, the new racing number. So I had the whole car liveried as a number. Thanks to many of Portland, by the way, who helped with that. But it's liveried as the number 73. So, yeah, paying homage to that. And actually, uh, you probably upset a lot of other manufacturers, didn't you, from beating this this little English company that's now owned by the Germans, uh, whacked everybody else to the curb. Uh, absolutely. I mean, um, it, it, it's always surprising when people, A, of course, see the Mini on the track, but even when we do um, customer drives. So we give uh, certain people at the track the opportunity to sort of get behind um, the wheel of a Mini or maybe on the passenger side with one of our drivers driving around, and they're simply blown away by the performance in this little, little car. Um, the other thing they, of course, notice is they get into the passenger seat and they think, oh, it's actually a lot more roomier here than I expected it to be. Uh, because, of course, they've just stepped out of a, a two-seater, whatever have you, and then they get into this little Mini, and they, they're they a little surprised to see just how practical it actually can be, while, of course, being ridiculously quick on the track. I think a lot of things changed when you introduced the, uh, the Countryman, because it was a bigger mm-hmm. vehicle that has the same interior space as a RAV4, and a lot of people right. were surprised at that, because now uh, there's no excuse not to have a Mini, really, isn't there? I mean, if there's, oh, I need more space in my car. Well, how much more do you need? Because if you're looking for that compact SUV, we've got you beat, basically. Right. So, I mean, even at the beginning when you mentioned how we've been here for 60 years, the, the one thing that has set us apart is we're original, but we're always open to constantly reinvent ourselves. So I think the countrymen really allowed us to do that. And of course, one of the reasons we wanted to do it is just to have a look at various market needs. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure I don't have to expel this out for anyone who's listening in, but last year we saw a tremendous growth in the light truck segment. And we know the car segment is shrinking and we don't just make cars, we make small cars. So for us to, of course, carry on telling the success story of Mini, we had to adapt. And the countryman has allowed us to capture some of that share and allowed us to still have Mini ever-present in the market, especially here in the U.S. Who do I have to talk to about getting a Mini truck, by the way? <laughs> I'm, I'm making a note as we speak. I'll, I'll see what I can do. Uh, that's the one thing that people ask me time and time and time and time again. Is it going to be a Mini truck? And I mean, I know there would be one if there was a market viability, but there, there's right. obviously not a market viability. Well, here's the thing. Of course, I, I mean, saying what I said right now, we, we obviously need to also see the fact that we're a, we're a global company. And I think the, uh, uh, the pickup truck um, is predominantly a request that is coming from the U.S. Wait, wait. Before you go any further, I can just feel the mini PR team pulling their hair out. Be careful what you say. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I mean that, that's pretty much it. We're a, we're a global company. We obviously need to see where... The demand is we, we know we haven't had massive market share in the U.S. as a brand, even even last year and the years before for the past five years. We've maintained somewhere between a 0.25 to 0.28 percent market share in the U.S. So we're we're niche and we need to focus on whatever it is we're doing. And I think development of something that polarizing would really be a challenge for us. Right. Uh, however, 
you can get 3,000 minis to go to Keystone, Colorado on a drive uh, and all these crazy people arriving there as part of Mini Takes the States uh, right. who are absolute fanatical. So it seems there is no other brand that does this, by the way. I mean, the, the VW right. doesn't do it. They have gatherings. Everybody has gatherings. But nobody in this United States of America has the passion and the road. I mean, just to be on the road with thousands thousands of other mini owners who are all waving of each other I, I mean even leaving ashland oregon as part of mini takes the states there were people out there that we were in the university campus there was uh, cops out there there was uh, students there was uh, people going for morning coffee and they stopped and their jaws hit the ground as hundreds and hundreds of minis just passed them right. and it's that fanaticalism that could probably sell you a few trucks i'm just just saying <laughs> Like I said, I made a note, Nick. Uh, I'm not going to promise you anything, but let's see what we can do. I do remember growing up as a kid uh, in in uh -huh. London, seeing mini police cars as well. That was always a treat. Uh -huh. You know, the, the, the London right. police, the Metropolitan Police used to use minis as police cars. I think it, it was a little challenging getting out of them and running after somebody, but I don't think the bad guys ran as fast uh, when I was growing up as they do now. <laughs> uh, so that, that was always a bunch of fun. Let's just jump back to the 60th anniversary. So... Uh, interesting on the outside, a new color, mm -hmm. um, some new mirror mm -hmm. caps, uh, those type of things. Uh, how would I identify this vehicle as a 60th anniversary Mini? Oh, this is so much more. So, of course, the, the color, as you mentioned, for the time being, is, of course, specific to the 60 years edition. Uh, the bonnet stripes are not regular bonnet stripes. They have a matte finish, which have the 60 years edition logo on the stripe itself. The 60 years edition logo makes its way to the side skull, even the entry sills. But on the interior, the one thing that really stands out, and we've been doing this for such a long time, is just the, the use of these high-quality materials. Now, the, the leather upholstery in the Six Years Edition is finished in this absolutely beautiful exclusive color of dark maroon uh, with piping in British racing green to accent the color on the outside. Um, the seats genuinely are absolutely stunning. They're super comfortable, and the use of high-quality materials is what we really, really see in the 60 years edition and of course all the other minis in the portfolio as well i know that um you know, minis are obviously very popular in the united states it's probably the biggest mm -hmm. market for mini fairly popular in germany now that bmw acquired mini a few years ago mm -hmm. and of course the united kingdom because many of them are still made of the oxford plant uh what other countries have some spice for mini in their lives well um of course, we, we, we can't really be talking about any market without not including China in the list that you just mentioned. Um, so minis are obviously gaining popularity in China as well. Uh, but Japan, um, again, a, a oh, yeah. market that does really, really well for us. Um, the, the, one, the one car that really works re very, very well in Japan is actually the Mini Clubman. Um, it, it seems to be the popular car over there. The model mix for that car is absolutely through the roof. So they yeah. have been a very, very large market for us in the Asia-Pacific region. I, I've, I've seen mini clubs. I've seen mini clubs. Uh, Ishan, Katri, thank you so much for joining us. Of course, if you want your 60th anniversary mini, you'll have to go to miniusa.com, the mini website, and order it. I, you probably want to get to it as soon as possible because I'm sure a lot of people are going to be ordering theirs. And as you know, they are not a limitless supply. Coming up, more Our Auto Expert. I'm Nick Miles. Don't go away. There's more to come with Nick Miles. Our Auto Expert will be right back. It's Our Auto Expert with Nick Miles.
You may not have noticed, but John Vincent's been in the studio the whole show, uh, just because he's, he's been very quiet. It's been, it's been very good. But uh, John Vincent from uh, US News and World Report is here. What we're going to talk about is whether you should be buying a new car or a used car. Uh, because some cars drop immensely in the first couple of years. And 40%. Yes. The highest number, 40%, I guess. The the other cars, not so much. In fact, I was looking at some cars that you're probably better off buying new because it makes sense. I mean, they drop maybe three grand or four grand in the, in the first year. Absolutely. Hondas, Toyotas, they're a great deal new. They're even a better deal certified used, but as used, you pay too much. Uh, you, the thumbnail one is always those cars that, uh, you know, I always looked for, like the Forerunner or the Tacoma. You can never find them. I mean, you, you know, you're buying a Tacoma or a Forerunner for the same price as an equivalent brand, which is three or four years younger because people are willing to pay for those vehicles. So you might as well just go buy a new one. So, well, so the car that you want to find uh, used right now is the FJ Cruiser because it's selling for as much used now as it's sold for new. Right, and which is probably a good indicator that they maybe they should... Hello, Toyota. Hello, Toyota. Bring the FJ Cruiser back, uh, please, because that was like an awesome... The only thing wrong with that vehicle, it was really a Tacoma, I think, wasn't it? Was it a Tacoma body, uh, Tacoma frame, and sort of had a different body on top. The only thing I could find with that vehicle that was wrong with it was the backing up. You couldn't see anything yeah, you couldn't out of see anything out of yeah. that vehicle. But I love them. I, I've seen them um, on dealer lots recently and gone... <sighs> I should buy one of those. But, uh, yeah, they are awesome vehicles. So is that is that the best vehicle to buy? Well, you can't buy it new. You can't buy it new anymore. Yeah. Well, the thing is, a new car now costs you, on average, $36,000. Right. That's really, really expensive for the average homeowner. It's not chump change, is it? It's not. No. That's so, why we have these unfortunate six, seven, and eight-year auto loans out there that people are getting themselves buried in. Yeah, which is, I think we went up from 076 to 0.78% of people who can't repay their loans now. It's increasing, and purely because I think a lot of loan places are lending money to people who shouldn't be lent money to. It's everybody's fault. It's right. car makers' fault. It's consumers' fault. It's lenders' fault. They're, you know, when you have a lot of money out there, people need to... Lenders need to lend that money out, and there are always people who are going to take it. So, John, give me the bullet points on what you need to consider. I'm considering a new vehicle. Uh, let's say I'm considering a vehicle of $32,000, uh, which is a fairly median price, a bit below the median transaction price. Uh, what do I need to start considering? You need to look at what you need a car for first. Um, find something that fits your needs. Find something that fits your budget. Find something that's reliable. You need to look at the reliability rating, the predicted reliability ratings. You know, unless you're leasing for three years, you need to find something that has a strong predicted reliability rating, so it's going to be around and affordable for the long term. Now, uh, can you lease secondhand vehicles? That is actually a growing part of the of the market is used car lease, um, and where you find that is with formerly leased vehicles that come back after two or three years, they're still in great shape. Dealers would sell them as certified used cars, and some now are leasing them as certified used cars. So you're talking about probably things like BMW 3, 5 Series, C-Class, E-Class, those sort of things that are used for business, the cars that are used for business. Not uh, necessarily. Leasing everything covers the market now. Oh, okay. So there are a lot of great two- and three-year-old cars coming back, uh, coming back to dealers. Uh, luxury pickup trucks that have never, ever been off the pavement are fantastic deals as certified used cars. Right, because they've, you know they've not been thrashed. However, something like a Subaru WRX STI, 
not. Yeah, golf, golf R, <laughs> WRXSTI. Because you know R. some 22-year-old had that, and I think uh, my friends, uh, who's one of my best friends is a local physician, and his son got a, an STI, and I think the warranty was void within about 20 minutes of getting it home. <laughs> <laughs> a bunch of stuff with the car. So, yeah, you don't want to be buying one of those. No. Uh, so, luxury pickup trucks are a good sign. What else is uh, what else is a hot uh, second-hand car to buy? Uh, gently you, used, maybe we should Gently say. used. So, if you can find a car with remaining warranty, that's fantastic. Okay. Um, if you buy certified used, you get additional warranty coverage. But if you can find a Kia or a Hyundai out there that still has some warranty left, that's a great deal. The last thing you want to have happen is buy a new car with a very long uh, loan and have that loan still, you're still making payments on that loan when things start to fail in the car. Right. Because then you're paying for a mechanic as well. So you have to pay your $600 car payment at the same month you need to pay $4,000 for a transmission. $600 car payment is scary. Is average. Um, Is it? Yep. Ugh. Thank goodness me, I own all my cars. I'm not sure I can stomach that. Yeah, in fact, it's gone up. The average uh, loan um, is now huge, and the average payment has gone up 30 bucks in the last year. $600, I mean, that, that sort of, you know, for some people, that's half your rent in just a car that you probably are in for less than an hour a day. Absolutely. Um, how do how do people justify this? Are people buying vehicles outside of their income range? Are people buying vehicles that, uh, that are outside of their their spending range because they're too luxurious? Honestly, people are buying more car than they can afford, and there's a lot of peer pressure that gets them to do that. There's you know dealer pressure that gets them to do that, um, and there's a lot of being sold on payment and not looking at the total cost of the car. I know that uh, some places are worse than others in the United States, uh, Los Angeles, especially Southern California, San Diego. You're under a lot of pressure to have a better car than your neighbor. But in in, in the Northwest, things are done slightly differently where uh, your car purchase is often seen as your stability. I mean, you know, if you buy something that's good all year round, good weather, it's a good resale value. I mean, you're seen as much more of a a better person in society and you're not trying to compete against the guy that has the big luxury SUV next to you. You're like, oh, you know what? Are are you saying you see a lot of Subaru... um well, I, you know, you, that, I think those are your words, but I wouldn't, dis- I wouldn't disagree with you, but those are your words. Uh, there are a lot of Subarus, there are a lot of Nissans, a lot of Honda. I mean, I think the number one vehicle sold in, in, um, I remember the last map I saw was the, in Seattle was a Subaru. I think it was the Outback was their number one vehicle. The market in the Northwest looks a whole lot different than any other place in the country other than maybe the Northeast. Yeah, that's right. I think it is. I think places like Vermont are very similar to us. All right, John, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to talk about brand by brand and some of those brands which you should be considering. And also, let's look at what is is better to buy new and what is better to buy used, naming those cars out. We're going to call it out as our auto expert continues here and uh, still to come Anton Wallman is going to be joining us he is our independent analyst and investor but John Vincent from US News and World Report is going to be with us for the next segment we're talking about new or used which one should you buy in your car more of our auto expert with Nick Miles is on the way welcome 
to the fast lane. Our auto expert with Nick Miles continues. Welcome back to the show. John Bunsen in studio. We're talking about whether you should buy new or used. It's important information if you're going car shopping. Uh, I know some dealers do a better deal on their used cars than their new cars. Uh, depreciation is really where it's at, John. So, uh, you, you know, you talked about 40% for some brands. Is there a, a general theme of what type of vehicle, what brands, you know, what you should be looking at? You talked about luxury pickups were a great second-hand buy or a release return buy because they'd never been in the woods. Uh, what what else uh, is really a heart thought, I should be buying this second-hand than I should be buying it new? That it's a tough question because it's kind of brand, brand by brand. But generally, your Asian brands do very well. Very well. Your German brands do slightly less. Um, you no. want to look for those warranties. You didn't mention American brands. I'm, again, they're not good to buy secondhand. They no, they depreciate a lot. They depreciate very quickly. Right. Um, is it is it something to do with quality? Reputation of quality. Reputation of quality because. I'll give you a great example. You know, uh, Mini used to not have the best quality. They used to be in the lower half. But now I think they're, they're four or five, maybe six from the top of the best quality in the last J.D. Parent Associates study, and I'm sure in everybody's study, they've dramatically increased their quality. Um, so does that increase the retail sales? Well, Mini's an interesting retail. thing. Their initial quality is higher, but their predicted reliability is still fairly low on the list. Right. So after the first 90 days. After the first three years. Three years. Um, does does it depend on what you do? Because a lot of people don't like, I mean, I like to change my cars every three years. I mean, I have one or two that I'll keep for 10, 10, 15 years, but you know, my regular cars I'll change every time. I mean, I just sold a car I got two years ago. You are unusual in that. Really? Yeah. So how long do people usually keep the cars for? Six or seven years. Really? Well, is that something to do with payments, though? It is. I just, I'm, I have ADD when it comes to cars. Like, I get bored very quickly. Not everybody thinks of cars as something for enjoyment. Yeah. You see, I'm probably the worst person to re- recommend vehicles to you, because I like to buy big, fast, powerful things that suck a lot of gas, have a horrible reliability, but at the same time make me feel really good. And there's a huge, huge portion of the, of the population that looks for an appliance. They want it to start every single morning, right? get them to work, get them home from work. That's what a car is for. I have one of those. I have a Lexus GX. I'll start every time. in the. Uh, so tell me what's better to buy new than, which we talked about the Asian brands are great to buy used. So what would you, if you're going to go buy a new car, give me some examples of vehicles that you would say, I wouldn't buy this secondhand. Um, wouldn't buy it secondhand. I'd look at performance cars. I wouldn't buy a performance car secondhand. Okay. So you're talking about things like your Mustangs, your, uh, your Challengers, your Chargers, that your whole group WXSTI, of cars. WXSTI, yeah. Civic Type R. Yeah, but, but is that something to do with the sort of person that buys the cars? Absolutely. All right. Yeah. Because they tend to thrash them. Um, what about, what about Jeeps? Because Jeeps have an amazing resale value. I think after five years, they're still, they still are worth 72% of the original price. Um, you know, for a Jeep Wrangler. So is a Wrangler or a new, or perhaps you can't find a secondhand one. So what you want to do is you want to go out to owner's forums and look at the owner's forums and see what people are having problems with. Okay. If you go to, say, a Honda Odyssey owner's forum and you see that it's having this kind of problem and you have a, a, you're looking at an Odyssey that's about that same uh, age range, then maybe you want to avoid it unless that work has already been done. And look at the recall list as well. I always do that when I research vehicles. And see if they've had a whole bunch and of you, you should never be buying a car with an open recall. Right. 
but some recalls are just so small people don't bother i mean it's like changing a bolt you know in the in the cup holder or something you know? yeah well that bolt you know <laughs> keeps the car from breaking in half. exactly <laughs> Exactly. Uh, one of my cars was just recalled because its power sliding doors will open at speed. That doesn't sound very safe. And <laughs> thank God your dogs are in, in ca- or your dogs in a cage in the back. <laughs> and you know, people ignore war- ignore recalls, which is right. not something you should be doing. Exactly. All right. So uh, we talked about um, you know brands from country. What tend to be the in, I say the models that you should buy new. Uh, you talked about muscle cars, performance cars, but pickup trucks are something people don't tend to let go very often. I think 12 years is the life cycle for a pickup truck. So are you ever going to find one that's two, three years old? The pickup truck market is really interesting because there are essentially two pickup truck markets. You have the work truck market where people buy them and drive them until the wheels fall off. Then you have the luxury truck market <laughs> where these vehicles have amazing capability that are never touched. And those are the ones you want to buy. And so let, let's just talk about what those vehicles are. So are we talking about that? The, those vehicles are GMCs probably because they're the... I mean, I don't, luxury pickups is difficult for me to... Mean Sierra to, Denali, okay. uh, Ram Laramie. La, uh, so it's the trim level of a... a mm-hmm. the trim it's level. the trim level. Okay. So those trim levels are probably... And, and even now I was noticing that a Chicago Auto Show that Ram are bringing out a limited 5500, which is basically a flatbed... Um, you know, a truck with a, with a flatbed on the back so you can build whatever you want on it, either for towing or a horse trailer, or you can build, you know, whatever you want on the back. But they're making it luxury up front. That's probably going to tow a horse trailer to Kentucky Derby once a year and, and is not going to be used in, you know, six inches of deep mud on the farm. Ford makes a super duty truck now that costs more than $100,000. That's a lot of money for a truck. Jen, you see that in your future? Um, I'm I'm right there with the first category. <laughs> My truck is 20 years old and got 250,000 miles, and you know I can fix it, and it's paid off. And so, there are some tremendous values with the Ram Tradesman, the um, Chevy Work Truck, the Ford uh, F-150 XL. Those can be tremendous values. The, so the, the the base models, the stripped the down base versions. models, and they are very base models. And when you buy one that's a little older, so. Uh, uh, those was the base models are good to buy secondhand, or if you can ever well, find no, them, you're never going to find them. All right, because so, people keep them forever. And so, but the luxury trucks are good to buy secondhand. Two and, years in, yeah, and you'll find them coming back from lease because so many of them are leased. And at what you talked about, forty percent as being the discount on buying something one year the, after it went the, on the sale. The forty percent is um, depreciation within one to two years. Which which models? That's the average. The average. Yeah. Oh, that's not the top end. No. Because I know that the uh, one of the vehicles is the Explorer. Um, sorry, the Expedition. The large Ford. The Expedition drops, you know, a huge amount of money in the first year. So if you're going to buy one, you know, a $68,000 truck is a lot cheaper, 35% less. Well, the old one. The new one's going to hold its value pretty well for, for a another while. Yeah, yeah. So a Suburban. You're going to find it drops pretty quickly. Um, Tahoe is going to drop fairly quickly because it's near the end of its life cycle. Right. And so they were they were probably discounted off the hood anyway when they were bought off the dealer, even though. Cadillac Escalade. I mean, right now there's $7,000 in rebates on it, and it's going to drop a ton of value the moment you drive it away. So maybe next year if you're looking someone if you're looking for a new Cadillac Escalade, someone is buying it now or bought it last year. Um, probably may want to unload it for the new model when it comes out, and you could uh, swoop in and get yourself a rockin' deal. Uh, a rockin' deal because a lot of those Escalades are leased. 
So you'll, they'll be coming back off lease for a fraction of the cost. Um, I know a lot of business people use that E-Class, C-Class, 3 Series, um, the A4, the A6, uh, the 5 Series, and those come back after a year or so, especially uh, somewhere in California where you have to have this year's model. A lot of the salesmen have to have this year's model, and we see them shipped up to the Northwest uh, a year old or maybe two years old, and I'm looking at prices of these, and I'm going... And that car was $55,000 and it was new and it's up here for 32 or 38. Yeah, know? exactly. It's like crazy money off the hood. And they, and you know, a lot of times if you have them in Southern California, a lot of these people are in LA, they're, they're driving maybe yeah, eight miles a day at the most in these vehicles, maybe two or three, you know, from the office or, uh, or where it, whatever it is. It's, uh, and that's in traffic. It's not like it's highway hard miles. So leasing now has about a 30% penetration of the market. Three in 10 cars leaving the dealership are leased. Wow. Those cars are coming back, and because they're leased, they have to be in great shape, they have to be low miles, they have to be certifiable, uh, so they're, they're still gonna be a good deal. Oh, no accidents? Yeah, you could, yeah, that's kind of a great idea. All right, you got me thinking. I don't want to spend any more money. John, where, where can we find out more about this? Uh, usnews.com, um, our best car site. All right, we can go and look at uh, whether you should buy it new, whether you should buy it used. It's always nice to have John Vincent on the show. John, thanks for coming. Uh, coming up next, I hope you'll stick around, John, but Anton Wallman is going to be here. He's our crazy mad scientist that knows everything about uh, EVs, car investments, and companies. He's going to be here. That's coming up on Our Auto Expert. Don't forget, 24-7, you can listen to old shows at ourautoexpert.com, and you can also follow us on social media. Message us. Ask us your questions. We're here. Expert with Nick Miles is on the way. It's our auto expert with Nick Miles. It has been one heck of a week in the uh, Tesla world, and far be it from me to know uh, all the ins and outs of how that's going. So, Anton Wallman is joining us uh, on the phone. Anton is our independent investment uh, specialist and analyst. Uh, he is probably the uh, the one person that can try and explain to us what Elon Musk is thinking, although I'm not even sure Elon Musk knows what he's thinking. So first of all, we should start with the fact that uh, shares look a bit dicey now after Elon announced he's uh, closing all his storefronts, Anton. Well, we saw a little interesting press release from Tesla here on Thursday afternoon, and I was a bit confused when I first read it. I, I was a little bit uh, dizzy in my mind. That's why a press release that talked about store closings, mass layoffs, 20% or greater price cuts, everything must go. And I said, wow, is it a press release from Sears Roebuck? <laughs> uh, and I said, Good Lord, this is, this is, and I, I blinked a few times and I, I looked at the bottle and so it was n not whiskey after all. I had actually been drinking mineral water and I read it three times and I said, Tesla, okay, they're closing substantially all of their stores. They're laying off God knows how many thousands of people and they are doing a massive fire sale, cutting prices in some cases, as I understand it, up to $60,000 for their most expensive of cars absolutely crushing the resale values on some of these more expensive models. And 
This was, of course, announced at the same time as the company uh, finally coughed up that uh, $35,000 base price. Now, it's $35,000 plus $1,200 destination charge. And uh, as with the uh, Ford Model T back in the day when we were young, Nick, uh, it only comes in black. If you want any other color, uh, it's $1,500 up to $2,500 for any other color whatsoever. So uh, you're pretty much right around the 40 mark before you uh, start to get real. But never, nevertheless, uh, those uh, those were the main ingredients of what the company announced here on uh, Thursday afternoon. All right, so let's read between the lines because Elon's never going to tell us what we really want to know. Is this the last dying throes of Tesla or is this a thriving company we're looking at? Well, I mean, sometimes the truth is somewhere in between, right? I mean, on the one hand, these are clearly moves of absolute severe desperation. I mean, we're, there's a little bit of, you know, at the Donner party, you know, back in uh, whatever, 1848, when you, they start to, uh, you know, saw off their left leg and start eating from the meat on the bone to try to survive. Uh, you know, sometimes you got to do what you got to do, but uh, let's not forget that there were some people from the Donner party that actually survived the whole thing, uh, a couple of people at the end. So, you know, things can get really, really bad, and there may still be a surviving entity at the other end of the tunnel. So uh, Tesla, for example, I mean, there is a possibility that somebody could step in and provide um, some sort of uh, liquidity here that enables the company to survive for another few months. That is, uh, that cannot be ruled out at this point. And if so, the company, uh, you know, so as the saying goes, the cat uh, has nine lives and maybe we're still on number eight. Do uh, you know, long term, doesn't look like such a good investment now? Well, look, that's a complicated, uh, I mean, I'm fundamentally bearish, but I'm not providing investment advice per se. But I will say this, that um, uh, the company had about 22% gross margins, according to their own uh, self-defined gross margin in the last uh, quarter or so uh, from their automotive business. And um, if you're assuming now that they're cutting prices on most of their cars that they are selling by about 20%, I mean, you can, the math start to look pretty brutal. Uh, you know, if gross margins, 22-ish percent, cutting prices by 20-ish percent. Uh, and the company admitted on the Thursday afternoon that they were most likely going to post a loss for the first quarter here, meaning the quarter that ends at the end of March and that they were hoping, believing, thinking, maybe, kind of, sort of, that they will yet return to profitability in in June. But June is a long ways away at this point, and um, I think there are um, there are a lot of warning flags. I mean, we had uh, the CFO just resigned uh, a month ago. That's never a good sign. We have the general counsel who had just joined barely about a month or so prior, he resigned uh, on whatever it was, the 19th or so of February, and then just uh, simultaneous with this store closing announcement, uh, Tesla's outside law firm, Williams and Connolly, I mean, uh, they resigned. I mean, uh, Williams and Connolly had defended everybody from uh, uh, would-be presidential assassin John Hinckley to uh, Oliver North to you name it. I mean, you go up and down the list, but apparently Tesla was too much for them, so they resigned. So, I mean, clearly uh, there's 
something behind the scenes here that certainly scares me when I'm looking at the situation. And uh, I think that uh, the prudent person may want to have a bit of a cautious approach here as we see what is about to unravel in the coming uh, weeks and months. All right. Well, I mean, I always told people, you know, you sh- when I was on the medical side of uh, my job, you shouldn't ignore chest pain. And, and I think it's the same thing with Tessa. Again, you probably shouldn't ignore chest pain because it's clearly something that's not quite right. And uh, everybody's abandoning uh, the company. It makes me feel very nervous. We're going to take a quick uh, commercial break. But when we come back, Anton, I want to talk about something that might be a more serious problem for them rather than the financial problem. And that is, uh, you know, we've always identified that there's a bunch of VIN numbers that have been missing uh, with the car production we've not been able to track those and now uh, it's been pointed out there's a legal requirement for them to uh, sequentially do VIN numbers plus uh, there may be some other problems with the uh, the Securities and Exchange Commission let's see if they're going to get themselves out of that water as we continue Our Auto Expert with Anton Wallman More of Our Auto Expert with Nick Miles is coming up He's Nick Miles and this is Our Auto Expert Anton Wallman's on the phone with us. So, Anton, uh, our friend Elon has has told us that on March 14th he will announce the Model Y. Is this just diversion? Well, so he told, uh, that was a date that he gave a long time ago. And as we have known, um, you know, Elon's timelines have tended to move around (laughs) many times over. I, I think that Think about this, right? I mean, the company could pro- probably show a concept of this and a kind of a production intent concept. They could certainly show some renderings and whatever. They could do that at any time. Um, but they have to be worried about it. If they show any new product at this point, at this fragile state, uh, what happens to their sales of, of the Model 3? I mean, there's a you know, the term of art that we know of from the computer industry initially, but certainly applies equally to the automotive industry, and that is is Osborning. I mean, once you show a new product that, even in in this case, the product is sort of a a different uh, body style of form factor, uh, we all know that uh, what has happened over the last several years is that the, uh, the consumer interest, not just in the U.S., but in other geographies, have shifted from sedans to crossovers and SUVs and that people really buy the Model 3 despite it being a sedan, not because it is a sedan. If Tesla had launched the model, the intended Model Y instead of the Model 3, as we know these products to be, um, it would have sold a lot more of them. So if they were to show the Model Y now, uh, their huge dilemma is it would probably... um, Make an, put an enormous dent into their uh, Model 3 sales, and they, they can't afford for that. I mean, that would be shooting themselves in the foot uh, in a really nasty fashion. So uh, I think that, that they're, they're, they're probably not in a position to do that right now. I mean, that would be a very, very risky gamble on their part. Let's talk about the missing VIN numbers. Uh, the missing VIN numbers, uh, this is not a science. It's a guessing game. And there is these huge gaps of missing VIN numbers that nobody can track. Uh, is this really significant or is this conspiracy theory? Well, I mean, first, I don't think, I mean, what it is is that it's a legal technicality that has some meaning for some analysts. I mean, I personally do not put a lot of weight to it. What's been going on here is that 
by all accounts, uh, Tesla appears to be skipping VIN numbers so that uh, basically there is a VIN tracker uh, that Bloomberg tends to hold and a lot of investment people tend to be very focused on following that to see what's happening with production. And if, if you skip a lot of VIN numbers, then uh, Bloomberg's tracker looks like it's reporting a higher weekly production rate. And uh, Tesla seems to believe that they benefit from uh, from people believing that their production is a little bit larger than it really is. At the end of the day, you can only fool people for so long, right? At the end of the quarter, you're reporting how many cars you sold at the end of the quarter. You may also obviously, you know, they're obviously reporting also how many they produce, but what really matters is not what you produce. What matters is what you sell. And so it's a very short-term game that uh, Tesla would be playing if they are uh, really engaging in this sort of scheme. So, uh, I, I, I mean, the benefit that they derive from that is, is, is very, very short term. They, they, uh, they, they really, uh, you know, it's, it's really nothing, I think, that, that uh, holds any water for the longer term. It's, so, speaking of short-term games, uh, back to the bottle Y for a second. Couldn't they get a tremendous number of deposits down and give themselves some cash to uh, have us a little bit of a cushion right now? Well, there are two arguments against that, right? So in terms of showing the Model Y, first of all, we had a big fiasco with the Model 3 in that people put deposits on the Model 3 and then the product was, first of all, it was delayed, period, by years, number one. Okay, so the thing came out late, and when it came out, the product was simply not debugged. I mean, the company had not performed any of the kind of durability uh, testing that any normal automaker does for at least 18 to 24 months before production begins. So a normal automaker takes hundreds and hundreds of cars, ships them out to all corners of the world in the most extreme climates, drives them almost 24-7 with the expert drivers who measure and calibrate everything. And only after everything has been nailed down to the millimeter does the actual consumer production begins. Tesla, not so much. They just basically crank out the first, really what we would call pre-production units, and then put put these cars in hands of some combination of you know, close friends, some employees, investors, and whoever else, and basically let them be the guinea pigs on this thing. No automaker does that. I mean, that would be, I mean, it's simply not in the, in the lifeblood of the industry. Uh, so... Uh, you know that that is that that's a big problem. Um, yeah, that's uh, um, that 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 uh, I think would be a would be a major consideration here. Let me ask you this: um, you know, going back to the VIN numbers we were just talking about for a second, aren't you legally required to su do sequential VIN numbers by the government? Yeah, I, I've uh, you know I uh, it certainly has not been an issue that in the past. I really paid much attention to because, I mean, it has really not been an issue with any normal automaker. But obviously this has come up here recently in the case of Tesla. And certainly we have read uh, some finally bothered looking into what the law says on this. And it appears, at least on first glance, that automakers actually are subject to fairly stringent uh, guidelines as to how they are uh, how they really need to report on, on uh, sequential VIN numbers. So uh, if we are reading these uh, laws and regulations correctly, uh, they are certainly not allowed to, uh, to skip a bunch of VIN numbers. So you're, you're, you appear to be right that this would be a problem. But uh, has anybody taken Tesla to task for this? Has anybody from the uh, 
beautiful government authorities that are supposed to monitor these things? Have they gone to Tesla and challenged them on this? I don't know. I haven't seen any signs of that. And uh, so uh, I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Maybe the government is asleep at the wheel. Maybe the government has looked into it and concluded that there really isn't an issue here. We um, Unfortunately, we just don't know the answer to that. Yeah, there's not enough data, I guess, uh, and the government's not talking about it. Is he out of, uh, is, is Elon out of hot water with the, uh, the Securities and Exchange Committee? No, the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission, they have essentially asked um, the court that approved the settlement from last September uh, to hold him in contempt for uh, failing to abide by the agreement. And they have set a hearing in New York, uh, in the court in New York, for March 11th. And this hearing, uh, they've asked... Tesla to uh, state its case as to why they would disagree with this interpretation. So Tesla now is a new lawyer because uh, their law firm, uh, other law firm resigned on Thursday uh, and they are, uh, I'm sure, drafting a very elaborate response to this and they're going to try to make their case. And of course, the SEC in turn is going to answer that. And at some point, the judge here is going to make a ruling. And at some point, uh, the judge is going to ask, well, you know, um, they're probably going to ask the SEC, well, what remedies are you seeking? Because let's say that I agree with you, SEC, the judge would say, let's say that I would agree with you. What what, what are you asking me to do, really? I mean, how do we, I mean, clearly a $20 million fine to the company and a $20 million fine to Elon personally, plus forcing him to step down as chairman, plus forcing him to appoint two new um, board uh, uh, directors, plus uh, forcing him to... Uh, uh, install new procedures for vetting of his communications. Clearly none of that helped, uh, in part because he seems completely unwilling to abide by by the settlement. Uh, so how do we do? I mean, do we fine him $200 million? Will that help? Uh, do we, uh, you know, demand that he step down as CEO? Remember, that was the first thing that the SEC asked for last time around. They asked that they demanded that he step down as CEO. That was what they asked for in the... In the end, they compromised and uh, and allowed him to stay on as CEO. Maybe this time they won't be as nice, but the reality is uh, we're going to be listening in very carefully to that hearing on March 11th to find out what the parties uh, duke it out. You know, one of the things I look at in this is why uh, the government haven't gone after him uh, at this point, because, uh, you know, somebody of lesser stature than Elon could have faced a lot more harsh punishment. And one of the things they seem to have done is been fairly mild with him, uh, which in a sense, too, you know, is that a reflection of his his financial status, the reflection of if they do go after him, what that leaves in the wake of the government imprisoning him or fining him, or is the fact that maybe the case isn't as strong as we all initially imagined it was? Well, I think we have some clues. It appears that last September, the actual chairman, the boss of the bosses at the SEC, Jay Clayton, it appears that in a very unusual 
situation. He actually personally intervened. Normally, you see, these things are handled by the enforcement staff, like the attorneys that are actually working the case, right? He is the boss of the entire Securities Exchange Commission. Usually, he doesn't get involved in specific cases. I mean, he manages you know, the organization as a whole and lets the professional staff, the, uh, the prosecutors, the attorneys, take care of the actual cases. But he intervened in this case and essentially, as I understand it, asked for uh, basically the staff to go a little bit light on Elon Musk. So the question is, why did he do that? That's not entirely clear. One can speculate and say that, well, let's say that Elon is, of course, the uh, largest shareholder in SpaceX, and SpaceX, of course, has a close agreement with NASA and the U.S. government as a result, and that maybe they are a little bit loath to... to, uh, go after him as hard as they would because there is that one particular angle. Again, that is speculation. I don't know. We just do not know. I mean, he is a bit of a folk hero of some sort. He's viewed as uh, saving the planet and whatever other nonsense, in my opinion. But, uh, uh, and as a result, if you're going after somebody of that stature, uh, the argument sometimes goes you only get one shot at the king. And I think that uh, whether it's the SEC or the Department of Justice, uh, they've been spend, spending years amassing a lot of uh, evidence or of whatever they have in mind. And uh, maybe they deem it to be the case that there's no hurry here. Maybe they're just waiting to uh, build an ever, ever, ever big case. And they want to be really, really sure that if they were to actually lay down the hammer one of these days, that they actually have an airtight case where uh, they can't really afford to to go after Elon Musk in court in in a major way without being absolutely sure they're going to win. Now, they did do so with that uh, you know, the case last September that led to the settlement where, which was, uh, of course, uh, a total victory for them and then a total defeat for him. And now, of course, they're going after him for violating the settlement. So there's strong ground there, but I'm talking about any other larger issues that they may be looking into. And we know from Tesla's own disclosures and its uh, quarterly filings with the SEC that the SEC does have ongoing investigations. So they just don't say about what it is. So we don't know about, uh, you know, the nature of those investigations but we do know that they um, that they exist. In the last minute that we have uh, left, do you think that e- Elon's going to benefit from a successful SpaceX capsule uh, return to Earth? Is that going to help uh, them with the, the whole Tesla plan, or is this really separate? Well, the thing is, that's the, that's the curious part. I mean, it, you know, in a, in a straight-up manner, it shouldn't. I mean, it really shouldn't have any bearing on, uh, I mean, the fact that, uh, you know, a man goes to church every Sunday uh, should not, uh, uh, you know, impact whether the guy gets uh, con- convicted of robbing the bank on a, on a Wednesday. Right. Uh, those two, is, two are separate. But in practice, you know, it may very well be that, as I mentioned earlier, that it plays a part in the sort of what we used to call prosecutorial uh, discretion right. in that uh, the prosecutors may be loath to go after somebody who's got uh, other attributes. Anton Warman, thank you. As always, you can find out more and listen to previous shows at OurAutoExpert.com.